My guest this week is Kelly Inoue Perez. Kelly is the softball coach at UCLA. During this episode, Kelly and I talk about the challenges of taking over an elite program. We talk about her process for reviewing games and practices, the challenge of being a coach and a mom, and much, much more. Kelly is awesome. She obviously has had a ton of success uh, on the field, but as you, as you listen, you'll see why she has had success developing ladies both on and off the field. Just a, she's a star. She was great, super engaging, really had a great conversation. I think you'll learn a lot. So without further ado, my conversation with Kelly Inouye Perez. Kelly, so pumped um, that you were able to join us and um, really look forward to learning from you. Why don't you start off by uh, maybe walking us through your journey from high school to present day? Um, wow, going back. So, you know, I was, I've really been fortunate um, my whole life. I think a big part of it is just who you surround yourself with. So, you know, even prior to high school, I was fortunate to be on a travel ball team um, that had just some great players. Lisa Fernandez is, you know, obviously our, our most decorated, but we started playing together when we were 10 and 11 years old. So we were a pitcher catcher combo, got to have great success in travel ball and, you know, 13, 14 years old, and then both went to UCLA together. Um, and had an amazing just career surrounded by excellence. You know, they were the defending champions when I went in, I got to three Pete at UCLA as a student athlete, which was, which was a lot of fun. But I think my defining moment um, of just being able to be recruited by UCLA and be a part was just, you know, I came in as a freshman, I earned a starting position and won a national championship and felt like, wow, this is as good as it gets. And then experienced an injury, had a throw, arm went, arm went numb, um, just, and then found, found out I had to have surgery three different surgeries later. I found myself at rock bottom, just never been injured before, never been removed from practice and watching and just in pain and just that frustration. But I really think that was by a defining moment in my life because all I knew about was how to throw and hit, hit a ball hard, throw it hard, um, and win ball games. And to be able to put, be put in a different a different position of, okay, what am I going to do now? And how am I going to continue to influence? You know, I'm a catcher by nature, so I'm always giving and, and leading, but you know, that was difficult. My name wasn't in the lineup. I wasn't called in drills anymore. I mean, it almost felt like it didn't matter if I was there or not. So I really, I really flipped and said, you know, at the, the hardest time of my life, really tried to figure out how I could be a better teammate and how I could continue to lead without leading by throwing it as hard as I could and hitting it as far as I could. And that was a really trying year, but it, it really helped me as a person figure out, you know, I'm, it's more than just your physical attributes that can help a team succeed. And, and through that, you know, that helped me get through my rehab, get back out there and get back out in the field and, and win another championship and have my best year. But I'll never forget that time. And I think that really helps me as a coach. You know, there's times when you're feeling good and great and the game is easy and it's a lot of fun and you can kind of grind and expect more because, you know, you've experienced success. But it's those times when you're you hit rock bottom or it gets taken away, then you got to make a decision. What are you going to do now? And so I have that perspective and I have a, an appreciation for the game and being being healthy and understanding injuries and, and the process of getting back to being healthy physically and mentally to be able to contribute, to be a part of a team. Um, so was able to fortunately finish out my career at UCLA and then instantly, like I think God, about two months later, graduated and two months later, they asked me to come back and assistant coach. I was going to go into sports psychology route and had 
graduated with my degree in psychology, got into the graduate school for sports psych. And then Sharon Backus, the head coach, called me. So said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Started coaching my teammates. Um, and I'm just passionate about the sport and people. So stayed in the assistant coaching role just right out of college and um, stayed there for a while. Started my family, got married, started my family and was going to redirect and got my master's and was going to get into coaching, teaching, possibly at a different level to be in a mom role. And, um, you know, it wasn't shortly after that Sue Enquist, the current head coach, retired and they offered me the head coaching job. And it was a really interesting time. Again, you know, it was a big family decision. Do I want to go in this direction and really start focusing on being closer to home and being more mom? Or do I really pursue really taking on the responsibility of taking care of the program that I helped be a part of and build? Mm -hmm. And it was a family decision. I have a wonderful husband who is was also a division one coach and went to the high school level. I'm surrounded by my family. So my my two children have been able to be raised by kids, but they said, go for it. And I was so blessed to have that support because I'm very passionate and competitive and and love to do everything I can to carry on the tradition at UCLA. So here I am, who knows how many years in, I can tell you the beginning parts of being a head coach was rough. Following two legends in the most historic winningest program was not easy. Um, even coaching my own, you know, players that I help recruit and coach. So I've learned a lot, um, gained perspective. Coach Wooden was probably the first person that gave me great information just about you know, just understanding how to stay in the moment. And I, you know, the past is as old as dirt. You have no control over the future. Focus on the now. And I remember vividly saying, I have no clue how to do that, but learned, learned how to trust the process and understand, you know, we really teach the wooden pyramid and all parts of it, but I am where I am today because of the experiences of what I've learned of how, what not to do, um, what to prioritize, what to make bigger than it is and how to, how to take a deep breath and really focus on the people. And um, I think the best part about it is I surround myself with a wonderful staff. I've got great support at home. I, I get to recruit a top 1% athletically, academically. So they're, they're very, uh, they're, they're very highly tuned to, to really get after success. So I, you know, motivation isn't like, isn't, isn't always the hardest thing. It's just, it's actually managing success and failure. Yeah. So I I'm passionate about what I do because I'm dealing with people. Wins and losses are a product of, being at your best, good timing, and a little bit of luck. But for me, it's the process, the journey from their freshman year to the senior year and beyond that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I'm fortunate to be in a profession that I get to work with people and, and the people that I surround myself are pretty special. So it's always a great day to go to work. Love it. Love it. Okay. I want to loop back around to your time uh, when you had an injury in college. Was there So the fact that you are looking at your injury and then think, you know what? I'm going to see if I can be a better teammate. I'm going to see if I can learn something through this. Was that you? Because if so, that's really mature. Or did a mentor or a coach kind of open your eyes to, hey, let's look around. There's other things you can grow in. Yeah, absolutely. I am. I 100% was dealing with a sports psychologist at the time, which is okay. why I became so passionate about getting into sports psychology. And I, and I, I it, it's the resource that I recommend highly. And, and I, I even tell the girls, honestly, you know, injury or just in, in any situations, adversity to go see someone to be able to talk to, because as you know, by nature as athletes, we just work harder. You know, I'm just going to put the work in and we're going to get through this. And you've learned how to get over the hard and just keep on working. And, and there's times you really, especially when it comes to wellness, that being able to communicate with somebody. And what I realized at the time with the sports psychologist is I did not like to complain or vent to my teammates. You know, I didn't want to be that person. So being able to talk to someone else and I tell the girls all the time, I'm like, when I first went, 
<laughs> I would literally cry. And, you know, because we, we're all athletes and we're tough sure. and we can get through this. And I'd go there and I would just cry and not want to say anything. And I felt so much better because I had to let it go. Would never want anyone to see that. Mm-hmm. Love that he, the sports psychologist, Dr. Parham, Bill Parham is just a phenomenal resource and is still with the team today. So that's kind of crazy. Back in the 90s, he was my sports psychologist and he's still with my team today, which is epic. But he helped me gain perspective. What's most important? What can you do? You know, what do you get to do? And I could look at him at times and say, I'm in pain and I'm not playing and it's this and that. And, you know, I really say there is a skill behind redirecting your mindset to focusing on not, you know, what you have to do, but what you get to do, Mm. you know, like focusing on things that you have an opportunity to do versus, you know, the adversity and what's happening to you. So it's, it's an interesting, um, God, that was an interesting time. And you're right. There was an immaturity and a lack of experience and knowledge of how to do it. So I absolutely gained professional help on how to redirect, but then I had to put it to action and commit to it. So I'm passionate about that now because you know, I literally tell them all the time, like you literally, you saved my life because <laughs> I was, you know, oh my God, I can't play softball. But at the time, his ability to redirect my mindset and help me with any adversity, what you get to do in this moment is more valuable and precious than what's actually happening to you. Yeah. And that, that's hard. That's so good. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Sue Inquist just for a sec. I'd love to, I'd be curious what are the what are the top couple things that you learned from her what are the how did she impact you first of all she's just the most amazing mentor um phenomenal softball player outstanding coach great motivator um very simple uh sue Enquist is a product of effort and attitude so she would always say you know give 100 percent of what you have and give a positive attitude period that was sue Enquist in a nutshell and and with it, it was very easy to follow her as a leader. She was a, a strong leader and it was very easy to follow. Everything was very clear. Everything was black and white. She was very committed to effort and attitude and she would pound it into the player. So as an assistant, it's very simple. You have control over it, your effort and your attitude. For So so with that, she, you know, we, we were both assistants um, or she was actually a, a co-head coach at the time, but we both were under Sharon Backus, who was the head coach. And we got to work together in in that dynamic, and then I took over, and I was her assistant. And um, like I said, just thoroughly enjoyed working for her. And, and we had to take over a pro, the pro, the UCLA program at a difficult time, so we bonded on just rebuilding UCLA um, back. And then she's still my support to this day. So you know, I was really fortunate that she believed in me, and the administration believed with no head coaching experience that I could take over the program. But a big part of that is the confidence that I gained with Sue. Um, you know, she has, a, she is very, she's dynamic. She has a process and a plan for everything. There is nothing that you can't do. And being surrounded by someone like that truly makes you believe there is nothing you can't do. So I, I can go anywhere in the world with her and we could accomplish anything. We truly believe it. Um, yeah. We are very different, but have the same mind of how anything is possible. Give us just a quick glimpse of how you guys are different. Um, Sue is, is very um, energetic and in your face. And, and, you know, she is a motivator and a talker and she'll, you know, she's very, very, she's dynamic. She's, Mm. she's, you know, that's Sue. I'm actually, I'm, I'm the opposite of that where I'm more about personal relationships and being a little bit more, um, I I don't even know what the word is. I'm a little bit more reserved, but I don't like, I actually don't show my emotions as much, but I'm a very passionate, emotional person. So, um, you know, it's, 
it, it's, I think our personalities are a little, are, are different, you know, like, and she's someone, when she walks in the room, you're like, oh my God, Sue Enquist is here. Cause she's like, you know, in your face and what's right. up and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and I absolutely will go in and would love to meet everybody and be able to, but by nature, I'll always take the more reserved approach versus the in your face. And so it was fun working with her because man, she, she would bust through doors and let everybody know I'm here. Um, and, and I think that also builds confidence in, in me being able to see that there is a way and a style, but I also learned very quickly, um, very quickly when I started taking over that I am, I could, I learned something, probably the most important thing that I learned is I am not a great Sue Enquist mm. and really figuring that out because everybody wanted me to be like Sue and, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And that was probably the biggest journey for me is figuring out how to be authentically the best Kelly Inouye Perez, Coach I, you know, who I was, what I wanted and how to do it in my way versus trying to be Sue. Um, and I think, you know, Sue was outstanding. She was with me the entire way as far as the transition, but I had to separate out and figure out how I was going to do things. And that was a big growing moment for me also. I've been surrounded, you know, Sharon Backus was the original, the first head coach of the program and Sue Enquist took over and I was the third and both Sharon and Sue are very different. So I like to say I grabbed from both of them. Sharon Backus was actually very reserved, very stoic, um, didn't say a whole lot, wasn't about relationships, just very simple. Sue is dynamic in your face, let's go. And I have taken from both of them. I like to try to keep both of them uh, real close to me. So what was, I'm curious, the, you, you beat me to the punch because that's where I was going. I, you know, when I got into coaching, um, my, my first couple years of coaching, I caught myself multiple times acting like my pitching coach at college. Yep. Got by the name of Brent Kimnitz, who I think is the, the best pitching coach around, or used to be. He's no longer coaching. Anyways, so I would try to be like him, and I had this aha moment of like, man, I love Brent, but I'm not Brent. I make it, to your point, I make a terrible Brent Kimnitz. And so um, what was, was there a moment that you had like this aha moment, or was it a, what is, yeah, walk me through the journey of trying of being able to figure out and getting comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I think, you know, after my first year, which was a complete disaster of just um, Sue tried to do everything she could to mentor and be with me by my side. So she was with me. I mean, she traveled with the team. She was with with me at practice and in, in that year that she retired and I took over. And so it was very difficult for me to actually figure out who I was. And we look yeah. back now and say, oh, my gosh, the fact that we tried to do that, that was tough for the girls, tough for me, tough for her. It was just tough for everyone. Um, and then right after that year, I actually met up with another a uh, wonderful resource, a guy by the name of Foster Mobley, who is a leadership coach. And I remember vividly, you know, we had had a, a, a very disappointing um, end to the season. We, you know, UCLA softball did not go to the World Series. And I remember meeting up with him and <laughs> I was an emotional disaster. And I was like, okay, who are you? Another guy that I'm supposed to talk to. Okay. You know, and so I, I was a little closed off and a little defensive and emotional, embarrassed, all these things. And, um, he sat down and he said, you know, I can't imagine what you're going through. And the I've seen you as a player. I've seen, you know, when you're in travel ball in college, I know more about you as a person. And I, I just have one question for you. When are you going to get to the point where you're going to really figure out what your voice is, wow. what you want UCLA to be? And, you know, because honestly, it, it, it was a question of if you asked me what the philosophy of UCLA softball was, you know, Sue, it was very interesting. Sue always said family school softball. So I'm like, that's, I know what the philosophy of UCLA softball is, but what is my philosophy? 
And I believe in the philosophy, but how am I going to voice it? What am I going to highlight? What is important to me? And he took me through um, some time that was the most valuable time. You know, I, we went into a room and filled up a room full of sticky notes. What are the words that I want? What do I want to see? You know, what, if at the end of the four years, what do you want your girls to be able to, to really take away from the program, you know? So, and so we had this room full of sticky notes. I had my coaches with me and, and we started talking about this and bringing it together. What are our guiding principles, you know? So what is our vision of this program? And took a little bit of a business model, but it was really coming from what do you want? What do you want to see? What do you want your girls to feel? What are the simple words that are going to stick with them? And so I went through that process and that was really empowering. It was also a really good um, reminder that, you know, that of who I was, because I've always identified with UCLA softball, but um, I also had another mentor, Val, um, Valerie Condos Fields was a gymnastics coach for UCLA. Um, you know, just an epic role model. Also, she is uh, my Bruins sister and very different than Sue. She is very uh, passionate about people um, similar to Sue in that she, they're very dynamic, but um, you know, Sue is about effort and attitude and, and Miss Val is about love and feeling passionate and, and caring for one another, which is two totally different perspectives. So once again, Val is another one that sat me down and said, Kelly, I, you are not Susie. You know, when are you going to get to a point where I know who you are? So I had a lot of great reminders of people knew who I was as a person. You know, like I said, I'm a catcher. I take care of people. I take care of people. I have a, a perspective and getting away from what I am supposed to be versus getting to what I really wanted. That was really fun. That was a fun journey. And then it took a while to start formulating words and simplify it. Less words, simple but um, it was a great process. And, I, and I'm still, I continue to evolve and try to make sure that there's clarity on what it is that the focus is in every year. But I, I gained the confidence and the ability to really be okay with what Kelly wants versus my responsibility of taking over UCLA softball. And um, so that journey, was, that journey was a good one, but I, I, could, I could write a lot of stories about that, but it, there was a great learning curve in that, in that time. Totally. It's really encouraging that you share that, that like when I when I first start working with coaches, the first thing I do because I think the reason why I, first thing I do is self awareness. Hundred percent. I, I have experienced like the freedom that comes with being comfortable in your own skin. I've also experienced the the bondage that comes with trying to be somebody else. Hundred percent. And so, and it's interesting. Um, I don't know if comforting is the right word, but it's like, oh, other highly skilled, very gifted people struggled with that too. And to your point, oh, yeah. I feel like it's a lifelong journey, but I did have some massive spikes and some awareness. Um, honestly, I had some of mine in my mid to late 30s, which feels like almost embarrassing, but that's it is what it was. I had self-awareness oh, yeah. late in my 30s, and so I'm still on this journey late in my 40s. Uh, really encouraging to, to hear that story. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I... There's so many people that say, wow, that, you know, that you could share that. Oh, I think it's probably the most valuable thing, especially talking yep. to new coaches is I could definitely play this role. Like, absolutely. I'm the softball coach for UCLA and I, I was a part of it and I can, you know, at the end of the day, really. And, and I still, I think the most important, you know, humility is, is a big part of growth, your ability to really truly own that. Yep. And and there is no, there are no secrets. I'm not here to play that I got it all going on. I also am not here to say that I have, I lack confidence. At the end of the day, I do believe 
in myself and my program. And, and I also can own when I'm doing it the wrong way. And I have, I can authentically tell the girls, you know what, that was a huge mistake. That's my bad. And if I can own that and I expect them to own it as well, but your ability to authentically be the best version of yourself is understanding that, that it's a constant process. You're constantly evolving and to try to fake it as if everything is perfect. I mean, you're, you're only fooling yourself. So I think the biggest part of confidence is, is once again, I think is owning it, owning your journey and the process, being accountable to it, but do something about it. Yeah. So, you know, there is, I, I always say to the girls, there is no failure. We don't fail. We're con we're continuously learning, you know, and at the end of the day, softball doesn't define us as far as if you hit it or swing, pitch it and throw it. Yes, it is. We're on a stage and we have high expectation, but it is not the only thing that defines you in this world. And if it is, that's unhealthy. Yeah. But in order to be able to give yourself a chance to be at your best to win a national championship, man, you better learn how to block out all the other stuff so that you can just play softball because that's the fun stuff. It's all the other stuff that gets in the way that puts you in a position to miss that opportunity. You know, and so for us that have played the game you know, and have been able to have wonderful opportunities to experience success on the stage and also failure, you know, you can put it in perspective. Like, for example, I was just telling my team this year at, at you know, we lost, um, we lost the game and I was telling them, I'm like, it's so interesting, you know, that energy when you lose and you have to redirect the mindset to get them back because it's a double elimination tournament. And, you know, sharing with them, like, you know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to share perspective right now that next week, like literally in less than a week, we're all going to look back at this moment and you're going to say, man, I cannot believe I made it as big as it is. But in the moment, it's very difficult for you to believe me. So all I'm going to tell you is in this moment, yes, the past, we just lost a game. The present, we've got to redirect and get ready for the next one. The future, no control over tomorrow. I don't really even care who we play. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. This is going to be a, a teachable moment right now that if you can truly hone in on this moment on what we're going to do next versus worrying about what just happened or what's next, then I promise you, we will be more prepared for the future. But so less emotion, no tears, no any of that. Let's get real dialed in to this moment. But the perspective that we're going to sit down, I promise you in a week, we're going to sit down and we're going to learn really quickly because that's the only, that's the growth that you get as an athlete is you gain perspective right after the moment's gone on what you should have done or what you're going to do different next time. That to me is the exciting part. That's the experience that's needed for a program to succeed. If you just get caught up some wins and losses and it's just an emotional high low, totally. but if you get to that growth in those teachable moments and you can only do that, we can all talk about it, but when you're actually living it and you get the opportunity to be in those moments, man, that's where you're going to get the greatest amount, amount of growth. And obviously not everyone gets to be in those moments to be in a locker room at the world series to teach those moments. But for that's a big part of why programs are successful because those athletes gain that real time experience and gain perspective, get a little hungry, hungrier, sharpen up that edge and get ready to get after it again. Um, and that's the contagious part of athletics, right? You, you just want to do it again. You want to do it again and you better do something different if it didn't work the first time. That's, yeah. that's the best part of, of, of coaching is giving them that perspective. It's good. I love the uh, idea of there's no failure. I'm not, I'm not sure if you've uh, read or listened to any Simon's, Simon Sinek, who talks about the infinite game versus the finite game. Ooh. And he gives really good examples. He's like, there's no, you don't, you don't win in your business career. It's constant. It's like an, it's a constant growth process. Yeah. We're always headed towards the horizon. We don't, we never reach the horizon. 
And I do think that that um, obviously there's a finite to a softball game. There's an end, there's a score, there's a winner, there's a loser, but not in this game called life. Right. Why not? You know, you just keep trying right. to get better. Anyways, I love that, uh, the, that mindset. It seems to free people up. 100%. Enjoy the moment to be their best and not be strangled by the the results and how that defines them. Well, I, I think, you know, one of our biggest teachable moments in the program that's still within this, this group that I still have with me is, um, you know, the hardest part of being an athlete is the high expectations that you have of yourself. You expect, you put the work in, you expect to get the payout in. So I identified with them at one point, you know, cause you could only say it's, it's tough. We all know coaching, you know, there's, there's moments where you need to just work them a little harder. There's moments where you need to take a day off <laughs> and there's moments where you really need to, to, to tackle the issue at hand and, and face and put a mirror in front of them and say, this is what's going on. And we had a moment where we lost to an opponent that of course we should have beat. And, you know, those are always the most difficult opponents or people that you're supposed to beat. Right. And, and we, and then we went into a little bit of a downward spiral uh, of after that, because you find yourself in a funk and the, the energy is just not there. And the, you know, the, the language is just negative and all of that. So I addressed it. I remember in the, in the locker room prior to um, the opening of a PAC 12 series. And I told him straight up, I said, you know, the bottom line is it's not the wins or losses or the frustration or the slumps or the lack of confidence. I'm going to, I'm going to say it straight up. We have to understand that, the embarrassment that everyone's feeling. What does it mean to be embarrassed? Because I know that that is the, that is what's driving us now. In that moment, that was what my team was feeling. It was yes, we were angry, but honestly, we were just embarrassed. Yeah. So I addressed it. I'm like, what is embarrassment? There's a physical part to it. We get sweaty. You know, we talked about the physical attributes. We talked about about you know mentally. What are you feeling? What are you thinking when it comes to the embarrassments? And then I threw out the I threw out a really quick example. I have two children. I have a son who's who's a baseball player and a daughter who's a soccer player, both raised in the same household, same, same family. If I put, and I, I shared with him, when my son was younger, I put him in timeout. When he was younger, and I, I put him in his room. I'm like, go, go, go in timeout. And then I went over to his room and, you know, after his timeout was over and he was just sitting in his chair, his little chair, he was sitting with head down, just completely so, so sad that he let me down and it just ripped my heart out. I was like, oh my gosh, this poor kid, he just didn't want to let us down. Right. Then was my daughter. When my daughter was younger, I put her in the room and I put her in a chair. And and then when I came into the room, she had completely, she was only like maybe four, completely, completely threw everything all over the place, terrorized the room. And I was walked in and was mortified. Like, oh, this little girl threw a tantrum and threw everything all over the place. So I said, two kids, same household, two completely different reactions. I said, how many of you would sit in the chair and head down and just feel really badly that, that everyone down half the team raised their hand. How many of you would throw everything all over the place and throw a tantrum and be so upset that you would react like that? Half of them raised their hand. I said, so let's be real. There's going to be different reactions. No one can, no one's going to tell you how you're going to react because we're all different, but I'm going to ask you this. What if we let go of being embarrassed? What if we actually, well, how do you think you would play if you let go of that failure, the fear of failure, and you wouldn't, you weren't embarrassed. What do you think would happen? And everyone was kind of quiet, awkward. What are you saying? And then it kind of got to, well, then I'd be freed up yep. or I wouldn't care or we wouldn't focus on it or we'd get over it quicker or we'd get, you know, so they all started, they all started talking about it. So I said, we have nothing to lose. We have a lot to gain. No one is going to be embarrassed today. We are going to play big and whatever happens, happens, but I want to free up what we do. So, sorry, this is turning into a long story, but no, I love first, it. first inning, Bubba Nichols, she's an Olympian right now. 
my leadoff, hits a ground ball to shortstop, or hits hits a double, leads off, and everyone's like, okay, it's on, you know, it's working. So she hits a double. Next girl hits a ball right to the shortstop. Bubba goes runs straight second to third, right in front of the shortstop, and she throws the ball to third and tags her out. And I'm like, you know, we all in the dugout kind of went quiet, like, oh my God, did that, you know, base running was part of our deal, but Bubba just went from A to B, ran into the out. So she runs back across the field and I'm sitting right in front of the dugout, just just myself going, what is going on, right? She runs past and she says, coach, I'm not going to be embarrassed. And the whole team, I mean, it was quiet. And then we all just had to start laughing like, okay, we just said this. Oh my gosh. Right after that, we run ruled the next three games and played our best ball. I mean, freed up just... I mean, it took my All-American to be able to own that she just made a mental mistake and own the fact that we just talked about what if, what if we weren't embarrassed? And I mean, we went on to win a national championship that year, but we owned, we owned the fact that we were recognizing that we are, it is, we, we, we get caught in our, we get in our own way with our successes and failures. So when we, when I freed them up and they pre, uh, played freely, um, it was a magic moment because as athletes, you don't get the you don't get that green light to do that because you're told the obvious, as I say, Captain Captain Obvious coaching. What are you doing? Why right. myself? Trust me, I was thinking that like, what is happening? Yeah. But it was not about the, the the knowledge of the game. It was just where we were with our overall aura, freed it up. Like I say, you know, was that the key? I mean, Bubba talked about it on the stage. She said, you know, at the end. She's like, well, we really focused on not being embarrassed. So we, we really learned how to play freely. And so as a coach, I, I learned that in the moment I had to address what the real I had. to Let's not BS it. Let's not work yeah. harder. Let's not stay positive. Let's not focus on not being negative straight up. You need to deal with the fact that you guys are you're embarrassed and it's OK. This is what's happening. This is what you're feeling. This is what's thinking. We're all going to react different. But what if Bruins? What if? And. You know, it, it worked for that group in the moment because it gave them a tool of what to do when things got hard. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to play off of that. So um, I'm convinced that the environment that a leader creates is everything. Like if you can't, if, if, if a leader can create a really, really good environment, I just think people will thrive and flourish. 100%. Flip side, if they can't create an environment, it's just going to, it's, it's just going to feel heavy. People aren't going to thrive and flourish. So Let's talk to the coach out there that's like, all right, I'm in. I want to create this environment. I want to create this environment where the fear of failure, the fear of whatever's released, gone. And you you just said where, how you addressed it. Like you gave a practical tip of, man, we just addressed the, you know, kind of the elephant in the room or the core of exactly. what was going on. So what else do you think you do, your staff does? Because it's not just practical, hey, we, you have to address it. It is part of that. What is the vibe? How do you guys create that environment yeah. where you guys can thrive and flourish? So I honestly believe here's another thing. Here's another story and a great learning experience. I'll never forget my first year um, as a coach. And we, you, we kind of talked about this briefly. You know, As a coach, you, you, know, you feel the responsibility of everything that goes wrong is right. a reflection of you. So, you know, because obviously you're the coach and they, they don't get it and they're not well-trained and blah, 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 blah. So I remember there was a moment in my first year where we were playing horribly against a team and I was writing everything down, like, okay, not going back on the ball, bad, you know, swing, not swinging a strike, blah, blah, blah. I had a list of probably close to 20 things at the end, right? And I remember going out and telling the team, brought them together, 
had that energy, had this list, had all these things that I was going to tell them. And I told, I read off the list with that tone, with that frustration, with Mm. that, you know, accusatory, demeaning, just everything, you know, and I finished the list because, you know, I'm, I I know so much about the game that I'm going to tell them everything that they did wrong because that's how good of a coach I am. I know, right. And I'm going to tell them. And, and I remember looking up and seeing the look on their faces and I will never forget that. Like just complete, just demolish them. I mean, mm-hmm. just the look on their face. I mean, it makes me emotional. So that was, I literally say my coaching low Yeah. where, and I call it captain obvious because anybody could have done that. I didn't have to be the coach of UCLA to write that list and tell them that I just had the opportunity to do it because I was in this position, but I never did that again. So to answer your question about the culture, what I do now, which I think is the most powerful part of our program in creating this environment is when you're really going to talk about the process, you know, for, for me, the big key is it's trusting the process. It's coach Wooden past future, and we talk about living in one time zone. You cannot yeah. live in the past and if you got to live in one time zone. So when you talk about the process, you really have to own what that process is. And it's not what I say. Coaches believe they have to come up with great speeches. They have to read great books and they have to have great words. True. I do all that. But it's about what they say that is more important than what you say. So what I do is um, after that moment, I literally said I, I had a, you know, a self-talk. That was horrible. That was bad coaching. What are you going to do? So I started really focusing on having them give the feedback. So in post games, what we do, it's very consistent post games, practice anytime, you know, we'll talk about what it is that we did, what we always talk about what we we could have done better because I like my athletes to own it. So, and as athletes, you know, this, there's nothing worse than doing poorly in a game and then getting called out by your coach in front of everyone. Like you already know it's coming and you're feeling horrible and then you get called out on top of it. But what's freeing is if you could own it, like, you know what, that's my bad. I need, I need, I need to play catch. I need to throw better. I need to throw strikes. I shouldn't walk the lead, you know, the lead off, whatever. If you own it, then you gain respect from your teammates. You also get it off your chest and it's not someone telling you it's you just owning the fact and then doing something about it. You can gain respect. You get it off your chest. You own it straight up. So I let them do that. Whether we win or lose, what can we be better? We own it. And like I say, we can win by a lot, but there's still things that we can work on. They own that. And then we always focus on what we did well. Hmm. And with that, the energy gets created on people pointing out other people. And we focus on the process and focus on the little things. So I have the girls in the dugout focusing on little things. We get probably a hundred little things every game from backups to communication, to warming up, to hustling, to running in between, to pounding, you know, down to the game, pounding first pitch, strike after a hit, you know, quality at bats, clutch, whatever. There's so many great moments in a game and the energy flies around the room because we're used to it. It's consistent, whether we win, whether we lose at practice, we're constantly, I'm always asking them now as a coach, instead of letting it just be a love fest, like, Oh, you know, I, my best friend, she's really cool. And I really like her and she's really positive. I actually will use the wooden words a lot. Give them purpose. Today is poise. So pregame, we're talking about poise, what poise means, what does it look like? What, how are we going to know what that means? And then at the end of the day, what can we be better at? And people will talk about poise. You know, she had poise in this moment. She had poise in that moment. What it looked like to me is she was, she was really displaying poise. So you start getting them to describe the words that you want and having the engagement is the key. And it's a consistent factor because coaches will have great ideas and get inspired and they'll say, oh, we're going to do this. 
And then you do it and you have crickets because they're like, I don't know what to say or I don't want to say it or right. I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want to be the brown nose or I don't, you know. So that part you've got to get over. And what I do with that is I'll take certain players prior to that meeting and say, listen, we're going to focus on this. I want, I'm going to ask for you to step up and lead. I want you to start the conversation and start the fire so that it can go around the room. And I'll pre-talk to some of the girls so that they're prepared for it. So as a coach, I don't go into the awkward and say, okay, we're talking about poise and everyone looking like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what am I supposed to say? Or what is she talking about? Right. But we talk about it. We gain energy. It becomes a consistent. And then there's times, especially in the own it phase, go backwards, back to the own it. There's people that instantly are more comfortable. The older girls, like they'll say it. And then there's the young girl who still doesn't really know what we're doing here, but am I supposed to like literally own the fact that I didn't put it down? And so we'll all go around the room and then I'll look at someone and be like, is there anything else? And they'll do the, are you, you talking to me? I'm like, yeah, is there anything else that we need to own? Uh, I need to get the stack bun down. Everyone will go crazy. Like, yeah, like, you know, but we teach them yeah. sister own it and own it. And we got you play that game of it's not your fault or point the finger. That's not how we play here. So own it, be a big girl. And then we're going to give you credit for when you do it the next time different. And everyone kind of has awareness. Girls like to give love to each other. That's in our world. I think people appreciate, appreciate, you know, positive affirmations. And when it gets a little off track with too much, I never really stop that because I, I have, we always leave the locker room, not on a negative. We leave practice and we leave locker rooms with things that we did well. And the fact that your teammates are paying attention and giving credit. And by nature, there's always somebody that is focusing on and so-and-so for catching in the bullpen things that as a coach, you would never even know that it's happened. Yeah, of course you expect it. I wouldn't even give credit for it, but when you have a teammate giving it, that's how you build that culture that everyone brings value. Everyone is important. Everyone notices the little things and people start to say, and here's another great thing. There's some players that aren't getting it done. They get no love. There's no reason for me to call out the bad attitude or that girl, right. but when it's circling around and that person's not getting anything, that is the most powerful message you can get. You know, you don't sprinting them, all of the working harder does nothing. But when you have people giving it up to everyone else and you're not getting love, it makes you actually stop and think about, wait a minute, I want to figure out what I need to do to get recognition from my teammates, my peers, that is more powerful even than coming from the coaches. So good. Okay. I want to, I want to, um, I'm going to come at it from this angle. You earlier said that UCLA is a place where just your, your, your ladies are just driven for excellence. It's a, it's a high level. You're getting the top 1%. So I'm a junior college coach. I'm a high school coach. I'm a non UCLA Stanford. What, what do you say when you say, well, well, of course Kelly can coach like that. She's at, she's at UCLA. I'm at fill in the blank, not UCLA, not Stanford. Um, what is the, how would you articulate to a coach that doesn't think that they could do that? That doesn't think they could let empower their student athletes to own stuff or all of what you just shared. How would you address a coach that doesn't think he can do that? Yeah, or absolutely. I, what was that? I what said he last or she, sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think what I have learned also is, um, instead of focusing on the fact that we are UCLA, because on the real, we've gone through moments where you know, we're UCLA and we're, we're not getting it done. So the most important thing that we have gotten to is really understanding. We use the analogy of a, of a diamond that everybody, everybody that was chosen to be a part of this program, you were already, you already stood out. You're a piece of coal, but you already stood out to be invited no matter where you are. 
everybody that we choose to be a part of our programs, I don't care if you're at travel, high school, JC, three, two, one, wherever you are, you choose people to come and represent your program. But to, to get people to feel valued and feel appreciated and inspired and motivated, you're focusing on the individual, not the name across your chest, but your ability to focus on that individual. So there are diamonds in the rough. They come in with potential to be great and your ability to understand that diamonds are created through extreme heat and pressure. So your ability to teach them that the process is going to be hard, but what you become in the end is, is why you become that priceless, most, the strongest stone in the world is that diamond. And everybody is, is going to, everyone's going to go through the same process. So it's, I don't focus on everyone competing against, I have Rachel Garcia, who was the best in the game, literally, but I also have Megan Farama, who is the next, that could be great, two different athletes. I don't have them compete against each other, but I have each of them focus on being the greatest, down to my freshman, who never even really got a nod, focusing on her greatness, on what's going to make her great. So we do a lot of journaling, we do a lot of, of, of goal setting, but it's them setting the goals, not what is the goal of UCLA softball? Yeah, we're here to win a natty. No kidding. Everybody in the country sets that goal, but I'm talking about you. Right. What are you going to do to help us be the best version of ourselves when it matters most? I don't care who we are, but to me, that's, that's the most important part of coaching is we're empowering and we're leading these young females to be, to feel like they can be a better version of themselves. And that's not a bad thing to be able to say, you can continue, you know, we flip it. My sports psychologist, it's not about being better it's unleashing their greatness at the rate that they're going to unleash it. So we've got to get themselves out of their way and not focus on UCLA softball. I don't focus on UCLA. So I never talk about our rankings. I never talk about the expectations. I do talk about your responsibility in representing this program of being the best version of yourself. So don't ride on the coattails and think just because you're wearing this jersey that you're good to go. You have to put work in and you, and we break it down to the individual. So I, I I would love to, you know, I'm a bad example because I've only been in one location, you know, but I strongly believe culture and your ability to build confidence and, and growth within your, your, your athletes is all about dealing with the individuals, but giving them the perspective that it's not about the Jersey or the people around you. It's you, what are you going to do? And, but the most important part, separate from what you're going to do, the process, how, so we journal all the time on goal setting and then the, how, what does it look like? And then we'll come back afterwards and check what did you do it or did you did you or did you not? Go ahead. Well, well stated. I love that. So let me let me add on to that. You tell me if this is right or not. As I hear you sharing that, then you become instead of a quote unquote coach who has to push and pull, you become a tour guide, helping them in their goals. They're the ones that are stating their goals. They're saying, "Here's how I want to reach it." You just become a tour guide, and then 100%. it's not the yeah yeah. Yeah, but I think that my responsibility is to guide them along there. So there, there's always I always have a a focus, whether you know whether it be um, loyalty, you know, being loyal to your teammates, to the game, to yourself, you know, whether like I say, I go off the wooden pyramid, and there's a lot of words. The foundation of the pyramid is industrious, you know, effort and attitude. That's where Sue gets it from. But there's loyalty, friendship, and cooperation that's at the bottom. So. There are teachable moments throughout a season to get to competitive greatness, to be at your best when your best is needed. So as a coach, that roadmap, we are guiding them through not just set goals every day and go for it and be great, you know, because 
you can find yourself caught in, well, you know, they do this, so we should do it. So it should work, but you should have some meaning and purpose behind where we're going. And that's why I always say, I address every meeting with my job is to be always, is, is to always state three things where we are. Okay. Where we're going and how we're going to do it. So throughout the entire season, I always say, where are we right now? And my job is to be real. I'm not here to mess around and lie to you all where we are is where we are, where we're going, always have vision, always know where we're going. That's what keeps the train moving through the hard stuff is you've got to keep your eyes on the prize of where we're going. That is our job more than anything as coaches is keep them motivated on the vision. Cause when you get stuck in the moment, man, you could bury your head and quit. But if you always continue to give them the vision of where we're going and then the how is that's where every coach is going to be a little different. But sometimes this is where we learn. Sometimes you push them a little harder. Sometimes you give them a day off. Sometimes you have a mental wellness day. Sometimes it's more reps and discipline. If you don't get it done, run. If you don't get it done, run. High expectation. There, are, We as coaches know that there's different paths. Sometimes it may or may not be the right. It's what you feel as a coach. So you're just going to do it. But the how, the, the, once again, the, the reality, we are not in a good place right now. We're not playing great ball. Where we're going, man, I can't wait to see what we do next. How we're going to do it, we're going to start focusing on the basics of just playing catch. We're not focusing on the errors and the mental or the lack of preparation, the lack of communicate, all those things. The reality is we are not in a great place. We will be. We're going to focus on the fundamentals today. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Let's go. You know, but it's all, so I always redirect their mind with truth, vision, let's get to work all the time. And so I'm guessing, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm curious because earlier you talked about being present. So the, where we're at, let's have vision. Now let's get right back to the present and let's, let's play catch. Let's do the, do the, do the little things. Yeah. Little things. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, like in the beginning of the season, I'll always lay out um, balls and be able to, like, I'll literally tell the freshmen to go get some balls and tell the sophomores to go get some balls and tell the seniors to get a couple. And, and it's always fun to see the freshmen look at us like, what are we doing? And we come into a room and I'll um, lay out the balls and say, okay, here's the season. So I'll say freshmen, grab the bucket. And I want you to put five um, balls or actually put in, you know, two balls here, two balls there, one ball there. And they're like, so I'm like, we're going to play a double hitter, a double hitter and a single. And I'm like, now put five. That's five tournaments. That five games are tournament. Put another five, put another five. Okay. These are our, that's our tournament season. Now put three, pack 12, three, pack 12, three, pack, you know, we go through, put regionals, the, ma- the maximum games you can play in regionals, maximum for super, maximum for the world series and the championship game. So we lay out the whole season in balls and you have this visual of mm-hmm. like, okay, the whole season, like that's a lot of balls. And so you can say you have, a, you ha- we have the time the, 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 to go through a season. And this is how many opportunities we're going to have to get tested to learn, to be able to get to where we want to get at the end. But all of that is just a visual of the vision of where we're going. Guess what? We haven't even gotten to game ball one yet. We're in fall ball. So that is the season. That is the future. That's where we're going today. What we're doing is we got to focus on this so that we are prepared to be tested. And guess what? We have time to be at our best. And then mid-season, put the balls out where are we at. We only have three more Pac-12 weekends. We have regional supers, so we have this much time. And I can still say, we have time in your panic, conference title on the line, wherever we are, we have time because our goal is to be our best at the end, okay? Your ability to continue to give perspective but get back to the moment is, is 
is empowering to the girls because there's a panic like, oh my God, I'm playing horribly. I post seasons around the corner. I'm horrible and do just the opposite. Yep, you're horrible now. But what are you going to do? Because you have time to be at your best at the end if you can recognize they stop. Yep, bad right now. Where we're going? What are you going to do today? And you're going to get tested again. You have more chances to get tested again. Mindset, perspective, vision, back to the moment, I think is things that I've learned to be able to do versus the obvious, like we just got to continue to just pound balls at them or, you know, if you don't do it, run, you know, like it's hard as an athlete to be able to gain perspective and and a positive, um, you know, just a positive vision of where you could be when you're in the moment, man, you believe it. You're like, I'm horrible and I'm not going to play anymore. And the next, I fear the next time because I feel so badly, right? Your ability to figure out, yep, own it. You feel horrible right now. What are you going to do? Because you're one pitch away from streaking. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Tell me because I'm the fool that's putting you in the lineup. So if you're going to tell me that it's that bad, then I'm you're calling me an idiot. I'll take you out and put somebody else in. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. You know, mindset, huge. Because and and our biggest thing is my biggest thing that I tell the girls all the time is it's not what happens. Like whatever happens, it's what you do next that is your defining moment. So. Yeah. We, we, we hone in on that in our game and give credit all the time. So if somebody fails and somebody, they, they, you know, home run given up and they pound the first pitch, we go, we go mental. If someone strikes out and then they have a quality at bat, they go mental. Somebody has an error. We know the game knows it's going to come back to them. So we, we, we have this idea of what's going to happen, but we look forward to it. We look forward to them getting tested. If I put a player out, a new player on defense, the game knows the ball is going to go to him. I can almost say 100% of the time, <laughs> it's crazy. The ball goes to the player that I put new on the field. So that person's ready. The team knows the ball gets hit. We go mental because we already knew that it was going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's so those types of things are what I enjoy that we are familiar with the game. It's not something that, you know, debilitates us. Like it's the game. And I say this all the time. The game has a sixth sense of humor, my friends. Mm. It will come at you. If you're fearing it, it will test you. If you're, it, it's just a crazy game. And once you start owning that, you're ready for it. You know, and I think that, I think that's the fun part of coaching is we have the perspective as coaches and put people that have played the game that it does this crazy thing. You make an error, you're up to bat. You know, if you, totally. if the girl hits a bomb, you got to face her in the seventh to close it out. I mean, it's just this really unique dynamic that continues to happen. And Either you fear it, like, oh, God, here it goes again, or you're ready for it. Like, here it goes again. Let's go. That's what builds confidence for you to be able to be prepared in those big moments that it's just the game. It's just the game. And it's a beautiful game that highlights you. Team sport, individual moments. So, And I I, we say this a lot, too. I don't know who's going to be the one in that moment. So every single one of you better be prepared. I would love for it to be our best player, but we all know it's not going to happen. It's going to be you. Are you prepared? And it's not. you may not even be in the starting lineup. But what happens if she goes down and you're all of a sudden there? You're going to wish that you put your work in because now all of a sudden the team is relying on you. That's another way to motivate your team. And I have great culture because if it's not me, then it's going to be her. We have each other's backs. We all prepare for the moment and we have great confidence that everyone's preparing. So if someone goes down, someone goes in. Coach makes a change at any time, then we know that that girl's prepared. And that's part of our culture that everyone matters. You never know who's going to be the one. Everyone prepares for that moment and everyone feels valued and ready. So when we make those changes, they, they're prepared. That's a yeah. big part of culture. So good. Really, really good. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. I want to change 
lanes just a little bit. I want to talk leadership development. And my yep. hunch is it sounds like just the way you lead your program, you have leadership development embedded and bled all the way through there. So <laughs> I'm going to ask it like this. Do you have a leadership council? Do you do captains? Is there anything outside of just coaching your team and helping them become the best they can be in the leadership development side? You know, I actually have an interesting dynamic that, that I switched up, I don't know how long ago, but so get this, we've all been a part of teams and by nature, seniors become seniors and they're the leaders, they're the oldest, they're the seniors, so you better listen to the seniors. What's difficult is when you go through seniors that may not be the best leaders that are now put in a position of leadership, it is their last lap, they gain perspective, they're putting that they're older, so they start leading and once again, just by seniority alone doesn't allow them to be the best leaders, right? And it and it is their last lap. So I have seen so many times that we've had bad leadership with seniors. Sometimes they're non-starting seniors, unhappy senior, whatever. But the pressure of being a senior and leading can 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 affect their game. So I changed our dynamic. Here's what we do now. First of all, we've never had captains. Anyone can lead. The game doesn't know how old you are. Love it. Step up and lead. Respect is earned. It's not something that coach that that coach gives out, you know, it's not a badge of honor. So that's just who we are. It's our program. And they all know that. So they're empowered by, I'm going to step out and find a way to lead. That's something that's important. The model that I use now, which is just, it, it's, it's to, I really enjoy it because it, it shares the process of your career at UCLA and your responsibility each year, not putting anyone in that position to have to just stay in their lane, that one lane, but at least it covers the expectations throughout your career. So Freshmen come in and they're expected to learn like you don't know it all. You just went from knowing it all to all of a sudden you're learning everything about the program. So just be a learner. Okay. And we, you know, Kaizen is another version of what you were talking about. Constant growth, constant learning, you know, growth mindset, all of those things. Just be a learner in your freshman year. Sophomores have the responsibility to understand what followership means. And Mm. followership is interesting because it's very difficult to be a great leader if you've never really learned how to follow. You know, you hear words like buy-in, you know, and trust the process and all of these things. But in your sophomore year, um, we ask for them to be aware of that. So what does that mean? You're no longer a freshman that is just in learner. You're not really in this upperclassman mode yet. But being able to be a follower, meaning when you see people attempting to lead, follow like yeah i got it i'm doing it and if you don't know ask the question i'm not really sure what we're supposed to be doing so i want to follow but we teach them to that followership is a big part of leadership because in their junior year there are things that we're asking for the juniors to lead and when i say that it's not leadership captain it's there are certain things like responsibilities and team bonding things or school, like just messages that, that the juniors have to take on that leadership role of messaging out to the team from the coaches. They are put in that communication responsibility of leadership in their junior year so that in their senior year, their goal is to be positive influencers. That's good. So they now have gone through the leadership awkwardness of telling the team what the coaches have said and having to rally everyone or tell people to put the equipment away or we're wearing this on the road or, you know, this is what time we're leaving or blah, blah, blah. Now in their senior year, they know how hard that was because that's, that's difficult. But now as seniors, we want them to, to enjoy the last lap, be positive influencers. So when you see someone, Hey, we need to do this, blah, 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 going in, you can tell the team, like, I got it. I know that was kind of rough, but what she's trying to say is this. So the seniors can be play more. They're freed up to be more, to be more of the 
um, influencers positively to be almost the good guys and enjoy it. They don't have that responsibility of having to do it or having to lead or having to discipline or having to do all those things. They actually get to enjoy the last lap and help the juniors, help the sophomores and the freshmen, which creates a healthier environment for those seniors to actually enjoy it. It's not on me, but I do have a responsibility for the program to go in and make sure the message is clear. You know, we attach big sisters and little sisters, but the junior class knows it's on you, whether you're a talker or not. Oh, it's on you. I will have them step up and say, this is what we're doing at practice today. And they're like, I have to do what? I'm like, yeah, you're going to tell everybody what the practice plan is. Well, I don't, you know, it's that, that whole awkwardness to, Hey guys, this is what we're doing at practice today. We're warming up. We're going to do PPS. We're going to get to infield outfield and then we're going to hit at the end. Okay. This many sessions, this is where read off. This is where people are and they have to, they have to be those leaders that do that and the seniors sit back and watch how they do it awkwardly and will help them. Like, That's so good. I know, you know, it's so I, that model to me, cause I hate seeing seniors pressured and just stressed and grumpy. And it's just, that's unfortunate. You never want to see that. So let me, let me walk through a, uh, for instance, I don't know if this has ever happened. Let's say you have a sophomore who just, you either see it or you get feedback that they're, they're not good followers. Like there's Absolutely. an edge, there's a, how do you, how do you navigate that? Well, hundred percent. And I think there's team conversations, but there's also individual conversations. So I think a big part of, of, of really developing, um, empowering is not just telling people what they should do, but asking them, what do you believe followership looks like? What do you think? Like, give me an example of who do you believe? And if they're, if they don't have examples or they don't have role models or they're clueless, like you're asking me to do something. I have the majority of the time, they just don't know what you want them to do. So instead of just telling them, I can tell a bazillion, I talk through stories a lot. So I'll talk about great examples of what followers did and the influence that they had on the team and why they were respected for their followership. Now you give me an example. I want you to look for it. And you have those moments where they're still looking at you. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just want to play ball. Like what? What, sure. Why are we even talking about this? But you you stay with them through the process to understand the value that they bring of, of how important it is to follow. Here, So here, let's get literal. Here's an example. So she just said, we're all going to go, um, we're, I don't even know, we're all going to buy in and we're going to go to a community service event. Okay. But if you guys can, if you, if you can't, then we understand, but if you can't. So you as a sophomore can say, you know what? I really don't want to. I have other things that I have to do. I may want to go do this. I may want to go home. But in that moment, if she's stepping up to be a leader and if you buy in to be able to say, you know what? I got you. Do you think that empowers that leader that just invited everybody to do a part? Yes or no? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah. What if you were the one that were asking everybody to go? Would you want people to go? Or do you think, you know, because you know, on the other side, I have better things to do. Well, so... I don't know. You have a choice. So buying in and, and following that the, the, this leadership moment is a, is something that is your choice. But if it was flipped and it was you, which it will be next year, mm-hmm. what do you think would help that that person create that energy, you know, for that leadership moment? I mean, if I guess if I went, let's go a step further. What else could you do? I don't know. What are you talking about? Could you maybe bring a teammate with you? How how bigly would that be if not only did you go, but you grabbed a teammate to go with you? How do you think that's going to make that leader feel? I mean, good. So when you're a leader next year, uh, you would hope that the followership is there, that when you say, let's go, you got people doing it because you're asking and they're grabbing other people. That's how we could build momentum. On the flip side, let's go. Nah, I don't want to. I got better things to do. So 
we got to figure out how we're going to work, but this is an important part of sometimes you step out of yourself and you figure out what's best for the team or what's best for that leader. And next year when you're in that role, I hope I'm going to do the same with the, the others to do the same thing for you. And you're going to continue to see this. I get this. You get to make a choice. No one's forcing you to do anything, but your ability to, to understand the value that you bring. If you go, that's energy. That's if you go, God, that's there's more people that are going to want to go. That's how valuable you are to this team. But you ultimately have the choice. I'm not going to don't go and have a bad attitude. I don't want that. Go because you understand that it's going to help this culture and this leader be a better leader. And they're like, and, you know, walk away. Yeah. Sometimes they go. Sometimes they don't. More times than not, they go because they get Well, If it was for me, I would want them to go. And that's how you get them to learn, because especially in this generation, we're siloed. They're locked on yeah. here. They don't want to. So doing it for others is something that is 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 something that we try to teach, but it's also doing it for yourself to build that culture so it's easier for you when you get there. And that's probably one of the most empowering parts is they don't they know how to take care of themselves. They know how to study. They know how to work hard. They know how to eat well. They know how to do all these things. Focusing on others, oh God, no. Yeah. You know, but we force them to understand how they influence each other and how they can empower each other by just following leading, influencing. There's all these different ways, just being a learner, ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. That's why I say I like the process because it addresses all these things throughout their years. Some of them start leading in their sophomore year. I've had girls that have are in the leadership role in their sophomore year because that's just who they are. Yeah. You know, but I think it's important for us to be able to at least cover it and everyone's going to grow at their own rate. Some of them don't grow until they come back and as alumni and go coach. I get it now. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. all we know that as players, as athletes, we know that as coaches. You know, we, we know that we're dealing with people here, and they're going to get it at a different rate. But it is my responsibility to cover what it is that we're expecting them to learn throughout their process. We can't we can't guarantee they're going to do it, but we're going to do our best effort to teach them how they can be a well rounded individual on this team. So good. So I want to encourage you two things that as you're sharing that one, I love so love the fact that you ask a lot of questions. I. I, man, I just think, yeah, we're so, and by the way, this is me. I'm, I'm so guilty of this. Like my kids, like just tell them it's easier to say, go do this, go do that. Here's what yeah. you're going to do as opposed to asking. So that's one. I, I love what you're doing Two, It seems to me, I, I, uh, Kevin Hambly, Stanford volleyball coach. I think the guy's a phenomenal leader and he is, he talks a lot about having a non-judgmental spirit towards mm. his athletes. And as you're walking me through that, for instance, it felt like at the end you were going to ask questions. Your, 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 your athlete knows what you're getting at to a certain extent. He knows where you're, she, she does. And then at the end, it felt like you're very non-judgmental. Like now you yeah. make the decision. We've walked 100%. That's powerful in my opinion. Yeah. But I think that's the biggest part of this is another thing that I say all the time is, you know, as you know, teaching that they're young adults, you know, as a high schooler, you don't have a choice. You have to go to school. You have to come down to the dinner table, drop everything and come eat. You know, there's things that you just have to do in high school because you're in a schedule. It's like in college, no one's telling you to go to class. We don't really tell you when to eat unless you're obviously in team team time. We do lock you down for practice, but you, you get to make your own choices. Yeah. And this is part of your growth. So here's the deal. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Just understand there's a consequence for everything. So if you study, you, you're going to look forward to the test. If you don't, test day is pretty scary. Yep. If you, you make choices, anything can happen, but just understand there's a consequence. So I am not about why you did it. 
I push, always push the limit because that's the only way you get to learn. I'm not going to ask why. I'm going to say, what did you learn and what are you going to do next? So it's pointless to say why. You made a choice. You're an adult and you learned. What did you learn from that? Yeah, good, good choice, bad choice. But at the end of the day, if you continue, like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. As a young adult, your job is to learn from all the choices you make. And it is your choice. Now you're influenced by your parents, your coaches, and everyone around you on what you should do. But at the end, it is your choice. That's the best part of being an adult. And I hope that you make choices that turn out to be better, that make your situation better. And if it doesn't, learn quickly. Do not continue to do the same. So there is, once again, there's no failure. The only way you fail is if you fail to learn. If you make the same mistakes over and over again, that's, that's failure. Yeah. You're, it's, it's a definition of insanity. You're literally doing the same thing. So but good. I think that that's, that's empowering for them to understand that they make mistakes. I've had so many meetings that they come in crying like this. I'm like, no, no, let's be real clear. You made a choice. So yeah. what did you learn from this at the end of the day? That non-judgmental, I'm a parent also, and I push my kids to learn. Like, don't take the safety route or just take the Captain Obvious work hard extra hours route. You got to do what you, what's best for you and learn along the way if it worked for you or not. And I'm here to support you. I'll give you suggestions. I'll come early, stay late, but I, I'm not going to live your life for you. You have to live that. That's the best part of being a young adult. And I love being with them in this because guess what? In the next round, the real world doesn't care. You're fired. You're yep. fired or you're out. It's not that they don't care. It's just a different path. We're here. We're with you. And that's the best part of collegiate athletics is it's not professional. It's, it, it is a job. We're paying people scholarship-wise to be here, but it's it's a family atmosphere that we're with you along the way as you learn because they've only known one thing, work, 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 especially my group, work, work, work. But this generation, they all, this generation works harder than our generation. Let's be real. They're putting more work in. There's more knowledge. They are working way harder than our, our past generation. I'm, I'm a little past you and my generation too. So way, way harder than, than before. And I think the parents are pushing, the kids are pushing, there's yeah. more awareness. So it's like, sometimes they just need to take a deep breath and, and own where they are as, as young, as young athletes, super important. Love that. Love that. My wife and I have constant conversation of like, Hey, let's let our kids, let's teach our kids to fail in the house when they can learn a lesson, not when they're 35 with three kids. hundred percent bad time to learn a lesson. Right, 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 right. Just if you, if you put, you know, like the bumpers around them, always don't do this, don't do this, don't, they're never going to learn. Oh. And then if, when they, when they do, that's scary. That's like, I would be worried as a parent if, okay, they've done everything I've asked and they have no idea what they really want to do. And that's scary. It's just the opposite. Do it and learn quickly, you know, at the end of the day with guidance, we're not going to tell you to touch the stove, not a good learning lesson, right. but let's, let's figure out, you got to push. And you know, my daughter all the time, like, what do you think I should do? You know, what do you want to do? And she's like, can you just tell me, you know, and, and but, and I'll give you my opinion, but it's ultimately your choice on, on what you want. So I don't like to be too sports psychologisty, but it, I want to empower them to make their own decisions. That's it. And then as a result, they're going to live their life and, and learn quickly how to, how to, how to, to realize that it was them that really allowed for them to be successful. Totally. Good. Big time. Okay. I end with three questions. The first question is what are you currently reading or with the advent of podcasts, what maybe listening to that's helping you grow, keeping you sharp? You know, um, it's all over the map. I have so many, there's so, so many great books. We just went through um, an older book, Mind Gym with my team. Yep. And we, I had every girl assigned a chapter and, and that was empowering for us to take the time to go over to do a little mental, um, mental work. So we, I made it a priority and then it, we were supposed to finish it 
because we were doing it religiously, but then postseason came around and we kind of shuffled it around. But so we actually finished it a little bit, um, a little bit later into it. So mind gym was just, I love it because there were so many examples of other athletes and their mindset and what they were thinking and feeling and had some powerful words. Like I said, Kaizen was a word that we learned yep. that constant growth, you know, but it was, I love hearing from other athletes because there's a lot of great things out there, but when you hear from an athlete's perspective of success and failure and, or what makes them great, and then athletes tend to grab, to grab onto that. So that was our latest of, of what we just went through as a team. Everybody had a chapter. Everyone was responsible. It was the first thing that we did. We circled up. Everyone had the book. Everyone read it. And then one person would highlight it and ask the team a question. So that was our latest was, Good. was mine, Jim. Yeah. Love it. Love yeah. it. Okay. I've got a recommendation for you. I've known you for an hour and five minutes, but I think you're going to really like this. It's called Intangibles. Okay. By awesome. Joan Ryan. I think the, the subtitle, you know, the book, title of the book is Intangibles, and I think the subtitle is something about how team chemistry works. Joan Ryan? Yep. Phenomenal book. Yep. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. Okay. Second question. And I'm going to ask this. Um, I'm going to be more specific with you on the second question because of something you said earlier, and I think it's really yep. appropriate or really needed to get out there. What advice would you give a young female just getting in the coaching profession. And I'm going to add a little who, who wants to coach, who's driven to coach, but also would like a family and kids and the pull and strain of all of that. What advice would you give? Um, first and foremost, I think being able to really keep your priorities straight is important. And family does for me, family comes, family comes first and it sounds crazy. I'm running, you know, an elite program, but family is not just my immediate family. It's, it's all, the girls, their families, it's everything. It's creating that, that environment so that when, when you have to make decisions, you know, the kids or this or that, that they were, it's a part of your culture. It's, it's not just softball, softball, softball. And all of a sudden I got to dip out because I have a family thing, but the creating an environment of a family, that family does come first so that, that you can be a role model, that you're able to be, to do this job, which is a very trying and and time demanding job that your mm -hmm. priorities have to be straight. You know, if your kids, you can do it all. Here's my number one message. You can do it all. Love it. You can be a role model. You've got to be able to have great support, but you also have to keep your priorities straight. You've got to create a, an environment that will support that. So uh, I can be a softball only coach could have chosen not to have a family really got after what I, what, what, what could have been a different path, how to be great in softball. I can write up practice plans and set goals and train them and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But for me, it, what's more rewarding is to be able to have it all and being able to set my priorities straight is understanding family comes first, obviously, but I have a responsibility to also grow these young individuals. And then I have responsibility to really teach the fundamentals of the sport and how to work together as a team. I got to figure out how I'm going to do all this hmm. priorities straight support is an absolute, but then also own the fact that you get to be an amazing role model, that you can be a leader, you can be the breadwinner. You can be a mother, you can be a wife or a partner, you can do all of these things, you can, but it gets overwhelming, it's hard, it's challenging, everybody has that. So when you put your mind to do it, I love that I'm a role model to my kids, to my players, to ever, to other coaches out there, that is it hard? Yes, I get asked the question all the time. You know, my son played baseball at UCLA, I didn't get to attend every one of his games, did I attend all his Little League games? 100%, but I have to make choices, and they're difficult choices. And I think the most important part of it is if you're always worried about 
if you're always looking in the rearview mirror about what you're missing, you're definitely going to miss the great view of the things that you have going on moving forward. Right. So that's perspective that I've learned because every, like I say, life is choices, right? I could have chosen to just be a mom and do a, a job that was less demanding. I chose to do it all. And I'm, it's been, I've been rewarded because I've surrounded myself with people that have supported me, motivated me. But most importantly, I, I keep my priorities straight <laughs> to make sure that in the moment, all I can give is my best in the moment. I can't be everywhere. But quality time is more important. Quality versus quantity. And I own that. I don't yeah. get caught up in what I can't do. I just really am blessed on what I can do. So, so you good. can. You can do it all. It's good. It's good. I love that. Thanks for awesome. sharing that. And then the last question, I end with this. Um, who would you love to hear on this podcast talk about their journey, talk about how they build culture and their uh, coaching philosophies and such? I mean, are you talking about in the softball world or just anybody? Um, whoever you would. Yeah, it's I, I generally try to encourage to stay in your sport, but you can go wherever you want with this question. Well, like I mean, my my there, I, 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 I'm asking this because there's so many people that I'm just. I'm so, um, what's the word? I'm just intrigued. I, I, intrigued is the word. I, there's just so many people that I respect that yeah. have so many great things. I think there's, there's that. So in, in my, in my coaching world, there's, there's so many wonderful people. Carol Hutchins is the head coach at university of Michigan and is just a phenomenal, um, role model of just softball, but also she's very real. She's gritty, but she also has a sense of humor. So Michigan softball has just been a consistent and she's one of my biggest mentors. So I love her to death. Love it. Um, I, she, she's one, I think Don Stanley at South Carolina is just a rock star and I've had chances to meet her, but don't really, um, uh, intrigued. I mean, she's, she seems like a badass. Excuse my, sorry that I use totally. language, yeah. but yeah, you know, and then obviously, um, uh, like if I were to talk about, it, it's interesting because you say there's people that you'd be intrigued by, but there's people that I just know, um, you know, that are great. Like Val Condos field was our gymnastics coach at UCLA. Um, I think she is phenomenal. I'm trying to think of, of, I, I mean, you asked for one, so I gave you like a handful, obviously the Stan Stanford women's basketball coach don't know much. I don't, I I'm intrigued and I okay. should be, I should have sent her a message. So shame on me, but um, obviously I, I think she's clearly doing some special things totally. um, in, in what she's able to accomplish. Yeah, love it. Never too late to send her a message. 100%. You just, I literally just reminded myself, it's its on my, my list and terrible for me to sit here this long afterwards and not just because anytime anyone hits those milestones, it's, its I mean, that is an accomplishment to be able to do that. So 100%, I'm going to reach out. Yeah. Please believe she's, I will. She's she's featured uh, one part of, uh, uh, in the book Intangibles, she's got a little part in there. Yeah, I mean, so, she's clearly, yeah. clearly, clearly, clearly. Yes. Yeah. But I could go on to the layers of other people that I just, that I just believe within our, with, within our sport. But Carol Hutchins is my, is my all everything. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kelly, you're, you, you're awesome, dude. This is so, so good. <laughs> I'm so grateful you took time oh. and shared wisdom and you got me thinking, yeah, just really, really good stuff. Oh, good. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for the invite.